Right, hello, um, welcome to this special episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, Hofton, as always, uh, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by TLW's Dave Usher. Hi, Dan. And TLW's Stu Monty. I do, mate. Are we both good gents? Yeah, yeah too bad. Yeah, it's been a, a funny old day um, with, with Carlo Ancelotti, uh, walking away from Everton after just 18 months but um, yeah we can't help but have a laugh at Everton they just make it so easy for us as we've just been discussing before the show started um, just before we, we start the podcast I'd just like to remind you all that you can subscribe to um, the Big Football Podcast via iTunes, Spotify, Podbean and Amazon Music if you hit the subscribe button you'll get every one of our Weekly shows automatically. I do this every week with a, a Manchester United and an Arsenal fan. Um, they both talk sense, which you can't always associate with with both teams. Um, there's no Arsenal fan TV going on in, in our podcast. But we might be in a minute with, with Stu and Dave when we get on to some of the more contentious issues. Um, and yes, I'm talking about Wijnaldum and the gents. If we kind mm. of flip back to... Um, in the end, we finished third. Uh, and I, I remember, Dave, we kind of had a conversation in, in October when um, I, I think it was before Gomez had been injured, but Van Dijk had just been crocked at Goodison and we'd had that farcical disallowed goal. It, it felt like things were going to unravel. And, and They didn't until January time, but un- unravel they did. Are you quite happy with third, given all that's gone on? Because a lot has gone on over the last 12 months, whether that be on the field or off it. It's about context, isn't it? I mean, if you'd have asked me in mid-December, would I have been happy with third? As I said, not a chance. Uh, you know, we were top at the time. We were, we were coping quite well with the injuries. But then the way it went and like that horrendous run that we had, we ended up in eighth place and I would have snatched your hand off for third then. And like, I, I think overall it's pretty commendable that, that they were able to rally and come back from such a bad position to finish as strongly as he did and yeah I'm, I'm happy with third all things considered I think the main thing um, sorry, sorry sorry. I think the main thing that we had to do was was get into the Champions League mostly for budgetary concerns um, obviously there is some work that we need to do over the summer but we'll, we'll come on to that a bit later but obviously we want to be dining from the top table I, I reckon it's, um, for me, the most important reason to get in the Champions League is genuinely because we can win it then next year or this season coming. I, mean, I know the money's a big thing, but the idea of this squad not being able to have a go at the Champions League next season would have just killed me. Because I think, you know, as mad as it sounds, they, they aren't that far off. The, you know, you say they, we, we had three centre-halves out for most of the season. And had absolutely everything thrown at us. I think, like Dave was saying, it's a commendable effort, really, when you look at it. You, I think it's, it's hard to put into context just how many things went wrong and how many things sort of went against us. You, you don't want to be the guy making excuses, but felt like so many, you look at the VAR statistics, so many marginal VARs went against us. Um, felt like the forwards, you know, we were missing chances we probably should have scored. I think if you look at you look at RXG, I think we were probably worth about another 10 goals or something, if I remember rightly. You know, we probably should have put our chances away better. Um, and just, just the scale of the injuries. I remember in like late February, it was, it was something like we were the t- we were the most injured side. If you talk about like how many games you've missed for players, I think it was about 200 games. And the next yeah, was. worst was Leicester at 100. 
You know, like yeah. they were second and we were like double. So when people just say, oh, well, you've had a couple of injuries, get over it. I just think the pure scale of what they had to put up with, you know, you've got like fifth and sixth choice playing centre-half. I just, I, I do think it's really commendable that they've come back so strong. Um, and yeah, the big thing for me is that we don't have to wait a year to have another go at the Champions League because that would have killed me. Yeah, you would have fancied our chances in um, the Europa League or the the new GM Vauxhall Europa Conference, um, where you really are getting some of the, the the luminaries of European football teams I've never heard of. Um, so yeah, I'm, I think what, what the the big thing for me is it is a fact that Thursday night football messes up seasons. You can see so many examples of it. Teams that have that that Europa League football tend to struggle in the league I can't you know like you know when United won it last because they didn't this season because they lost on penalties um you know like their finished was it sixth or seventh but won the Europa League and therefore got into the Champions League their league season was a mess yeah yeah it messes up your recovery time badly I think I remember seeing something on it about you know the the uh, physical recovery time and stuff like that. Apparently, just something about the Thursday night to, to weekend schedule just tends to mess teams up. Apparently, so if we kind of look look at the season we've had, then I think one one thing I wanted to mention is the the, the rise of Thiago, who he missed the, pretty much all of twenty twenty due to um, thuggery in in the Merseyside derby, and it was was not an isolated incident, but. Um, he came back into the team and had a bit of a slow start. I think in that last 10 games when we took, when we won 8 out of 10, so 26 out of 30 points, I think there were signs that Thiago had kind of got his head around this league and, and what he needed to do in our in our way of play. Would, would you kind of agree with that? I think he was sensational at the end of the season. And and I, I wouldn't say I'd written him off at all. I, I hadn't written him off. But I did have serious doubts that it could just be like a great player at the wrong club and I, I was watching him when we were struggling during that spell and it wasn't that he was playing badly I didn't look at him and think oh you know he's he's rubbish he's not good enough he just looked like to me he looked like a Manchester City midfielder playing in a Liverpool midfield it just didn't go it didn't look right and as I say, it wasn't that he was he, he was bad or he was you know he was giving the ball away or and it, and it, you could see his, his work rate was there. It was all you know it just wasn't clicking. But then, I mean, it's, it could be a coincidence, but I don't think it is. I think as soon as Fabinho got moved into midfield, it freed up Thiago then because when Thiago was playing as, as like the holding player, uh, he, he he doesn't cover the ground as well as Fabinho does and you know it's, it's not as natural instinct to play like that when he was freed up to just go and play his game I thought the last 10 games I, I, you can make a case that over that those 10 games he was arguably our best player in, in that, that period of time I thought he just seemed to get better every game and by the end of the season he was flying yeah I agree I think he was but I think I was um, I was probably more positive about him a little bit when when there was a little bit of a narrative about him struggling. I, I think I've, even when we were struggling, I thought he was doing a lot of things right. Um, like I was saying before about, I think me and Dave probably agree a little bit about that, about the fact that he was getting the ball to the forwards and then the forwards were, yeah. were not doing enough with it. You know what I mean? I remember the Brighton game where 
I was watching it going, this is as much as a midfielder can possibly do. You know, he won the ball more than anyone. He intercepted it more than anyone. He won every header. And then he's firing the ball in onto the edge of the area. And the forwards were misfiring a bit. And I did think, I get what Dave's saying. I think it's probably right that when he had to do He's having to do shuttles, eight-yard shuttles, trying to cover into the into the channels and stuff for the fullbacks. That wasn't him, and I think maybe that's what the, bringing Fabinho in there means. He doesn't have he doesn't have to do that as much, and he can look forward a bit more. But um, I still think he's even with the chat around him. I think he's been underrated. I think he's been absolutely incredible this season. Really, when you look over the course of the whole season when he's played, I know like I, I love the numbers, and he was just like there's saying to the boys in the week. And there's only four players in the Premier League who've got more tackles and interceptions than him, like per 90. And it's just, you know, they're the players you'd expect, Kante and DD players like that. He's he's just right up there. And then alongside that, you've got his passing numbers are insane. You know, passing forward, passing into the final third, you know, pass that leads to a chance. I, I can't wait to see him with Van Dijk behind him, with a proper defence behind him, with Fabinho, with Fabinho there. I can't wait to see him next year. I just think he's... He's exactly what we need for, like we were talking about, cracking open those tight defences. I just think, yeah, I can't wait to watch him. Another point on that as well, though, Stu. Um, I, I think something else that helped him. He, he was getting booked in the first five minutes. It's like every time he made a tackle, he was getting booked. <laughs> and then that sort of settled down a bit. And I don't necessarily think it's just because he wasn't making those fouls. I just think referees were just punishing him, like, too harshly, you know, during that bad spell. But it wasn't just him that was getting punished. I mean, it seemed like so many decisions were going against us during that spell. But that was a big thing for Thiago. It was like, as soon as he committed the foul, he was in the book. And you'd see his face, you know, he'd be pleading with the referee. And you could see him just, like, holding up one finger going, like, it's one foul, it's my first foul. And it was just mm-hmm. a, an automatic yellow every time. So then that affects how he plays the rest of the game. Because you, you're saying about some making tackles and winning the ball back. I'd imagine, like, over the last 10 games, he didn't get anywhere near as many bookings during that, that period. And the rest of his numbers probably went up on the basis that he was allowed to tackle without thinking, oh, I'm going to get a second yellow here. I mean, it, it just felt like he was getting he was getting picked on, really, because it's not like six or seven of our players were getting booked in games. It's like, but, you know, Trent will make a foul. And like, yeah, no problem, free kick, that's it. Thiago commits a foul, and it was just an automatic yellow every time. We, yeah, we, we Thiago. <laughs> I don't. I think he likes to tackle, and I think he was almost. There was a bit of that where he thought he might get away because he's, you know, he's a silky footballer, and I think he thought he'll try and uh, he'll try and take a bit of an advantage with the referees because I think a lot of those a lot of those tackles probably were bookings. To be fair, um, but I don't know. I'd have to. Have a, you'd have to have a look and see what his numbers were like. But I remember pretty consistently when you look back, he was he'd win the ball back off the opposition almost every single match, but it just sort of goes quite, it sort of goes under the radar a little bit. He just goes about his work quite uh, quite quietly and just keeps nicking it off people. Um, I like that though. I like the fact that he likes to tackle. He's sensational in the air as well. He just wins every oh, header. Yeah, I, I've been super impressed with Thiago as the season's worn on. I, I didn't buy the narrative because you had all the, the pundits piling on saying, you know, like, oh, is Thiago going to fit Liverpool's method of playing? But as as you've, you've both kind of alluded to, we've not seen him play with our full team yet. We've seen him play with a patchwork defence and a patchwork midfield along him because the midfield 
was used to patch up the defence. So it, it's I, I think that he's showing real, real signs of promise for next season. I, I'm really excited about seeing him play uh, next season as well. And um, you, you've, you've kind of I've, I've touched on Fabinho, the, um, again, both of you. Um, I, I have him down as our player of the season. Um, I, I understand why anyone else would say more Salah. I, I, I understand that. Um, but for me, Fabinho was playing out of position and he was absolutely flawless until kind of February. And, and then I think a couple of mistakes started to creep into his game. And we moved him back to midfield and we looked like a completely different team. It's no coincidence that he went back into midfield and we won eight of our last ten. Yeah, I think um, Fabinho would probably be right up there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he'd be my player of the season because I, I think it imparts maybe towards the end of the season as well. Even though we've been doing well, I've, I think he's in at times been a little bit sluggish. He's he's almost dropped his level a little bit from where we've um, where we've seen him. Even though we were winning games with him, it felt like the him being in the system meant we were playing better. I'm not particularly sure he was playing better. Um, but yeah, I think it was. Uh, he did an amazing job to be dropped in at centre half. I think he did a pretty. I think he did a pretty good job uh, all the way through. I think even when he was making the odd mistake, I've had the argument with people before. It's like you, people focus on it a little bit too much because he's a midfielder. You know, I'll, I'll show you three centre halves in the same weekend that are you know trying to win the ball on the edge or making a bad tackle. It's like it's just what you do. You try and make tackles. Um, yeah. So I thought he's good. I think he I think he freed up everyone else to play in the last uh, ten games or so, something like that. But may, I think maybe I'd be more likely to go for someone like maybe one of Trent, Salah, or Robbo, just because I feel like they're the guys who they've just put stupid minutes. And it feels like they're the ones more than anyone who's just plugged away and plugged away and plugged away, and there was no replacements for them. You know, they've played almost every minute. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a tight one. It's probably about four or five guys I'd say that are, that could all have the hand up for a player of the season. What do you reckon, Dave? Uh, I agree with pretty much everything you've said there. I'd, I'd say probably Mo is player of the year, and Fabinho's in in a group with, as you say, Trent would be in the conversation as well. Um, I think Robbo's level dropped a little bit, but it's perfectly understandable given the amount of like minutes he put in, as you say. Uh, but I agree about Fabinho as well. I, I, you know, the, the last couple of games, especially the last game, I didn't think he played well. You know, I, th- I thought he, he did look a little bit off the pace at times. But it doesn't matter because he's so good that like eighty yeah. percent Fabinho is still better than pretty much any holding midfielder, midfielder in the country other than Kante. You know, so even at eighty percent, he's still better than everybody else because he's just that good. And it also means everybody else plays better because they've got that safety blanket they've got in behind them. You know, so like you're not as worried about giving the ball away because you know Fabinho's there to just sweep it up. Um, it gives the defenders confidence as well, and it just it just transformed everything when he, when he went back into midfield. But he was really good at the back. You know, I, I totally agree with yeah. Um, any mistake he made was overblown just because oh, it's not his natural position, this is what happens. Well, this is also what happens when Joe Gomez is back there. You know, yeah. none of them are, even Virgil, you know, none of them are, are completely flawless and never make a mistake. So I do think it was overblown. I also think that, like, his performances generally, he was about an 8 out of 10 every time he played centre-back. But we just lost too much with him being back there, which is through no fault of his. 
but losing him from midfield, it, it just upset the balance of everything else. You can get away with that, like, you know, for the odd game here and there, but over a sustained period, that's where it just caught us out. And, you know, this is the... Like, me and Stuart are in agreement on, on this about, like, the, the bigger problem this season was... The bigger problem was the forwards. I mean, defensively, no matter who we put back there, they did a job, you know, like... They, I, I, they were yeah, so admirable. That whether it was Reese Williams and Nath Phillips, whether it was Kabak, whether it was Hendo, whoever played there, they did a job. It's not like we were conceding two, three goals every game. It's like, in that terrible run we had, we were conceding one goal and losing. You know, and it's like, oh, you know, the, the derby was two, but I don't even count that second goal. That just that was scandalous that that goal was get, the, the penalty. Um, so it's like we were conceding one goal. It, it, the six home games we lost in a row, it just felt like one goal was enough to beat us. Well, why is that? That's not because of the defenders. And I, I know people were saying it upset, like the we lost Virgil's passing from the back and all. So, yeah, we did, but we, we should have been able to overcome that better than we did. We couldn't because we had two of the front three couldn't trap a bag of cement. And that was what was killing us. You talk about like Thiago playing those passes to the forward. I remember the game you were talking about because we were agreeing on that in the group chat. We were talking about it. And not everyone was in agreement, but we were on the same page with that. It was like every time the ball went forward, Sadio tripped over his own feet or Bobby's like coming too deep. And it just, it was the, the forwards, was, it was just letting us down um, the rest of our play. Well, I think we ended up with the third best defensive record in the league or something, didn't we? It was the third or fourth best. And, and considering where we were, even when we had Van Dijk and Gomez playing, I mean, the numbers were totally skewed because we let in seven at Villa. Well, you think like how many goals we've conceded, and seven of them came in one game when Van Dijk was actually playing. You look at what we've done since then, and the defensive record—it was really good. Now I accept that it—it affects the the, the knock-on effect. We've had midfielders going, so the midfielders weaker because the lads have dropped back. I accept all of those arguments, but I do think the bigger problem was the the the, the form of the forwards rather than the the injuries to the defence. Now you know it's. I know it's a subjective argument, but that that's how I felt most of the season. I wasn't like games had finished and I wasn't like thinking, Oh, you know, I'm really disappointed with the defence there or, you know, we're well, we're missing like the building from the back with Virgil. What we did miss was the threat from set pieces. That that was a that was a big thing for yeah, us. Because absolutely. we couldn't just nick a goal here and there. You know, sometimes when things aren't going well for you, but teams are sitting back and you're forcing a load of corners. Eventually, you're gonna you, Virgil's gonna get his head on the end of one, and it doesn't even matter if you're not playing that well. You can nick a goal, and it gets you, it gets you back into it, gets your momentum going. We didn't have that. Towards the end of the season, we got better, and, and Phillips became a bit of a threat, and Reese Williams got his head on a couple. But we had a spell for about two, three months where we were just no threat from set pieces at all. So mm. that's where we missed um, Van Dyke as much as anything else, I, I think, because defensively we coped. But the forwards, we lost Jota. That killed us, losing Jota for like the, the two months, whatever it was. He was in such great form at the time when he went, when he got injured. And then we were left with just Mo carrying the load on his own because the other two just fell off a cliff. Yeah, well, I think we went from being one of the best teams in the division from set pieces to just being like, don't even bother defending because that's how bad we are. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that makes a huge difference. Thinking, what was it, like 12 goals, 15 goals or something off set pieces the year before? And just drop down to, you know, virtually nothing until your keeper comes up and gets one. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what, what Dave's saying is, is totally like, 
totally on board with it. Totally agree. Like I was saying before, you know, I know we've chatted before about like data and stuff like that, but you look at the expected goals for our, our team is like, there's another nine goals that we should have had from chances. So even if you say that's, you know, not quite right, nine goals is a lot of goals, you know, it puts us, I think, I think we should have had, you know, had the second best chances in the whole league. And we've just not put them away. Trans- trans- it translates into quite a lot of points at nine goals if you spread them around a lot of one nil games. And I think yeah. you know that's as we're saying. It feels like that that was the difference. It was the games where we just could not get a goal, and you just knew you knew that the opposition the opposition would just get nick one. And it was you know to be fair, it was a lot of the time it'd be Mane and Firmino, but then you'd have a day when one of those two were on, and then Salah would have an off day. And uh, it felt yeah. like you could never get two of them having a good day together. Um, you know, but I mean, they've had to do a lot of work as well. Those three, you got to remember, they've put a lot of minutes in as well. So I'd like to see them rotated and fresh, and see if we can get a little bit more out of them. <clears throat> one one player I'd like to, to mention who, who we've talked about in the past, Dave, is, is Curtis Jones. He was kind of in the team quite regularly in the first maybe six months of the season, but he, he wasn't anywhere to be seen really from. February, March onwards, do you think he's just been a bit tired maybe, played a lot of football for his age, or has he just been out of form, or has he just been a victim of Thiago's good form? Um, all of it, really. I think all of that's played a part. Uh, he was he was playing a lot through necessity. You know, we had, we had injuries in midfield, we had midfielders dropping into defence, and there was times when we only had three midfield players, and he was one of them. So he was given more opportunities than he, he would have expected going into the season. But he took it. He was doing really well. And then he did get an injury, which, which ruled him out for a few weeks, didn't he? And then following that, he didn't really get back in. Partly because Fabinho's back in midfield. Thiago was playing really well. Um, and Milner was getting games because we just needed that Milner's know-how. You know, just things were going badly and you always feel better you know if, if Milner's coming off the bench it's just it's just reassuring like if you're losing and Milner comes on you think he'll sort it out and if you're winning you're trying to protect the lead and you're under a bit of pressure you think yeah Milner will, will calm things down make sure everybody does the right thing and so I, I think it was just uh, it, it, to be fair there was times when he, he brought Curtis on and I thought oh surprised there you know I wouldn't have thought he'd put him on in this situation where maybe we're, we're winning one nil or something and he's bringing Curtis on so I think like Klopp was still trying to keep him involved but it was just the circumstances where he got injured at the wrong time and then the team started doing well and he just couldn't really put him back in the starting lineup because we, we were playing quite well and you know the stakes were so high but I think uh, Curtis will have you know a, a big year for us next season because he did so well this year but there's so much more to come from him. I mean, he's just a phenomenal talent. Yeah, I was I was doing a bit of prep when you said we we're going to talk about you know players that we might want to bring in. Um, so looking around at some of the names that have been mentioned and stuff like that, and then you look at them in comparison to Curtis, and you know he's doing so well for a player of his age. I was looking at some of the some of the things he's really strong at, like carrying it up the pitch, uh, driving at people, passes into the final third, stuff like that. A lot of the metrics that you're looking at, if you were you know, going to buy a player that changes up our midfield a little bit, you know, we've, we've said over the last couple of seasons, our midfields, you know, it's a little bit solid and dependable and it hasn't got that, that little bit of a uh, little bit of flair to it. I think, yeah, we want, 
we want more minutes for Curtis next year. I think his development is going to demand it. Um, but I think what what it, the output he's produced so far is, you know, he can hold his head up. He's a real credit to um, he's a credit to himself because I think with the minutes he's had, he's, he's performed really well. It was certainly nice to see him showing passion as well. Uh, maybe not for the the right team because it was for England under twenty ones, but he was most displeased with something. Uh, I, I think it was about March time. Um, when he was in at a fracker after the um, the full time whistle, but I, need a- yeah, I don't I don't care about it. You know, as long as he behaves himself for us, I'm not bothered about what happens on international duty. I mean, I think it was quite funny watching him, like was. the way he lost lost his rag. But um, I don't think Klopp will care about that. He'll just say to him, "Look, just you know, if, if you're in that situation for us, just keep your cool." So- uh, he's he's not he's not done anything whatsoever playing for us to suggest like that he may end up with, with any disciplinary problems I mean uh, you know he, he seems to have like a really good mentality he's confident um, you know he, I, do you know the, the player who, who will look at and think that that's going to be Curtis in a couple of years Jack Grealish I think there's similarities and you know the, the impact that Grealish is having I see Curtis being like one of the most influential players in the league in a couple of years. But, you know, what's Jack Grealish now? 25, 26, mm. something like that. You know, he was just a talented kid, but you never looked at him and thought, oh, he's brilliant. And then he's just got better and better to a point now where you look at him and think, yeah, he's top class. Um, Curtis has got like five or six years on it, you know, still to still to go. So I think within a couple of years, he's going to be a, an absolutely phenomenal player. But what I think happened this year with him, I've watched him coming through the academy and playing for the under-23s, and he's totally different this year. And it's because, a lot of the time, I felt I was disappointed watching him, and it was just because I felt like he was he was playing too safe at times. But I also know he's doing that because that's what's being drummed into him every day. You know, it, Curtis is like a free spirit. He'll, he'll, he'll be wanting to, you know, beat a man, get a shot in, 25 yards, put it in the top corner, you know, dribble past a couple of people in the box, and yeah, tee someone up for a chance. That that's how he's always played. But if you're playing in the midfield three for us, that's all well and good if he's playing in the front three, like on the left or whatever. But in the midfield three for us, he can't do that. Because the way we play with the full backs pushed so high all the time. Possession of the ball is like really valuable. That's why like you know, Genie could do a hell of a lot more than what than what he does. But he, he, the way he plays so safe is because that's what we need our midfielders to do. Because if they're taking risks and giving the ball away, we're, we're suddenly vulnerable to counter-attacks. So, you know, Klopp always talks about like protecting our own attacks. That's part of it. Don't give the ball away needlessly. Yeah, so Curtis has had to rein himself in a lot because he's playing in midfield now and not like as, as part of the front three, which in, in the past he has done. You know, even at like, you know, he has got to be He's just been so much more mature and responsible, but it has come at a bit of a cost of his individual flair and like you know creating chances and scoring goals. But I just think that's something he's doing the right things now, and over time, as he becomes more comfortable in what we're doing, he'll he'll be able to you know take the handbrake off a little bit and try a few more things. But I think Klopp will have been delighted just with with the maturity that he's shown. Because there's times when I think, go on, Curtis, just beat your man and have a shot. And he'll just knock it back to Thiago or something, or he'll just roll a little ball to Trent. And, and I feel a little bit disappointed, but he's doing the right thing. You know, it, it's just, I'm, I'm used to seeing him doing other things. 
because when he first got on the team, you know, he was only playing little games here and there, cup games. He was just sensational. Like every time he got the ball, you think he's going to do something here. And last year, like the season just gone, I didn't really feel that a lot of the time. But it was because he was doing what our midfielders need to be doing, whether that's, you know, Henzo, Genie, Milner, whatever. You know, it's like Stu saying before about it's it's kind of a functional midfield. And that's how we've been because the front three were the ones who provided all the magic. Um, but there's a reason why the midfield has to play the way they do, and it, it, it's otherwise we if we give it away cheaply, a lot of the chances that we give up, you can trace it back to us just conceding like possession like needlessly, and it, it puts us it, especially when you've got like Phillips and Williams at the back. The last thing you need to be doing is giving a ball away so someone can play one ball behind them to a fast striker because they've got no chance. There's nothing they can do to stop that. So protecting the ball is like vitally important when you've got a defence like like the defence that we were playing. And I think Curtis has sacrificed himself a lot just because it, it's needed to play in our midfield. But there's so much more to come from him. And I just think, you know, it may be different when, when Van Dijk's back next year and whoever he's playing alongside. We've just got a bit more of a, a solid base. You can maybe take a little bit more risks. But... Um, he had a great season. It's just a shame for him that he didn't feature too much in like the last maybe quarter of it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, um, but one one thing I will say, David, when you're talking about his aggression playing for England, you, to, to quote your own podcast, you need a bit of that, though. Yeah, no, you, you do, but uh, just as long as it's controlled. Yeah, and if he's going to get sent off, make sure it's for England. Uh, normally, exactly. <laughs> normally, I would ask you, you both for a moment of the season, but I think we've got that covered. I think we all know what that is. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. Although a big, big props. Nat, Nat Phillips against Burnley. <laughs> that that was a good talk about something else. Are you, are you referring to something else, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but big props to to more for racing away. Um, at Old Trafford to make it 4-2 because that was kind of the moment where you started to think well actually uh, maybe we have got a, a good shot at the top four after all if we kind of move on then from, from the season because I think we've covered that well it's been a difficult one for the club on and off it we've had personal tragedies we've had people having Covid we've just it's just been one of those seasons it's been a horrible season thank God it's over Um I, I, I didn't have this on the agenda originally, but I feel kind of remiss to not mention this because I, I think it's quite frankly cuckoo bananas that it was even a topic in the first place. But Trent has made the England squad today uh, for the Euros. Why was it even a conversation that the kid is his ceiling is is limitless? Oh, I'm just it's it's mental. I, I know we were chatting about it earlier on today, but I I, I cannot get my head around the idea. That you've got a kid there who's got he's one of the, not just England, not just English fullbacks. He's one of the most creative footballers on the planet, and they've decided that they they're not sure whether they want that in their team. I just think it's the defensive stuff's wildly overrated. You know, he's no poorer yeah. than much of muchness. I think Wan Bissaka is is like I agree with Ferdinand when he says he's the best one v one defender uh, in Europe. Yeah, I probably I wouldn't argue with that, and I. I think I'd probably take that because I'd want a bit of that in my squad. After that, like it's just you look at honestly, you look at the numbers. It's just a different stratosphere. They cannot get near him. You're looking at someone who, on some of these metrics, the person that he's competing with is Messi, is Kevin De Bruyne. These are the people who are in who are on the same on the same area for creating things for your football team. And I just 
yeah, it's just insane that, that you wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want to find a way to get that in your side. It's just, I think it says something about your limitations as a coach. If you can't look at that talent and go, I need I need that talent and I'll do whatever I need to do to, to get it in there. Yeah, and I'd also say um, it's, it's hilarious that, and, you know, the other three right-backs in the squad, they're all good players. I really like Rhys James. Yeah. His record, you know, he's he, he's gone to Atletico Madrid. He's, he's part of a, a really good defensive unit. He's good on set pieces. I'm not knocking them at all. They're, they're like, under normal circumstances, you'd be like, yeah, I'm happy with those good players. Kyle Walker, no, not not for me, not at all. But that's by the by. The thing with Trent, and like Stu just touched on it there when he said like the defensive things are overplayed. Massively overplayed. And I'll tell you why. Because I've I've got this theory, I've always said this. If you're a good attacking fullback, people assume you must be crap defending. <laughs> and any time a cross comes in from your side, it's like, Oh, look at that. You can't stop a cross. Yeah, he might be great going forward, but look, they've just put a cross in. Well, I don't care who you are, wingers are gonna get crosses in. You're not gonna stop crosses coming in all the time, no matter how good a defender you are. And you you say about Wan Basaka. Yeah, he might be might be the best one v one defender. I wouldn't argue with that. I wouldn't argue with that at all. He's very difficult to dribble past. But there's more to defending than just being a great one one on one defender. There's like covering around the back post, you know, being in the right position. I think Trent's really good at all of that stuff and doesn't get credit for it at all. And if you look over the, the last ten games, I can picture in my head incidents where, where the ball's being played across and it's gone behind the defenders. And I've thought, oh no! And Trent's just come out yeah, of nowhere, so. covering around the back, made the clearance, and he doesn't get credit for that at all. It's this just bullshit narrative about he can't defend. If like any little defensive error he makes, it is used as evidence as well. Look, he can't defend. Well, Kyle Walker, come on. How many howlers have we seen Kyle Walker make? But what, why are people saying like that Kyle Walker's not weak defensively? Because he is. And he's not great going forward either. He appears to run fast. But what does he actually do? Attacking-wise? Now, fair enough, Man City play a totally different style to us and the full-backs. The responsibility is not the same as, as what our, our full-backs have. I get that. But Kyle Walker... Defensively, he's not better than Trent. He might be quick, and his pace might get him out of situations he's got himself into. He's not a better defender. He's not a better player going forward. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that Reese James is better either way. You know, and I like Reese James a lot. I've, I've liked him since he got on Chelsea's team. I think he's a really good player. But I just think Trent's defending is massively underrated, and it's because he's so great going forward. And this, it always happens. You know, it's if you're if you're a fullback who's great going forward, it's automatically assumed that you mustn't be any good uh, defensively, and it, it goes the other way as well. You can have someone who's crap going forward, like Tony Hibbert, for example. <laughs> it's assumed he must be a really good defender because he gives you nothing going forward. He must be a really good defender. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't a really good defender either. But it's just this. You just make these assumptions based on the style of play. And if you're a good attacking fullback, it's just always assumed you mustn't be any good defending when it's just not the case. I mean, Trent marked Leroy Sané. When Leroy Sané was in, he was on fire at the time. He was top three players in the league at the time. And Trent was a kid and we were like, oh, we're in big trouble here. Yeah, yeah. And Trent dealt with him. So don't tell me that he can't defend. A lot of, a lot of it is just to do with... He had a bad spell earlier in the season 
which is partly because he had COVID and missed pre-season. Now, we don't know how much of an effect that has on people, you know, fitness levels and all that. We don't know yet. It's still a new thing. For all we know, that might have been why Sadio just totally lost it. It could have been related. I'm not saying it is, but we can't rule it out either way. But So Trent, at the start of the season, he missed pre-season, he had COVID, he came back, he was finding his way, finding his feet again, and then he got injured. So he wasn't in great form. And then about it was like two, three months later, an England squad got named, and he was left out of it. And the reason was his form. I'm like, well, so you're picking a squad based on the form three months ago? Because in the period since, he'd been one of our best players, and Klopp was, was getting asked about it all the time in press conferences. What's wrong with Trent? And he's like, nothing's wrong with Trent. Trent's playing really well. I don't, I don't know why you keep asking me. So, you know, he had a spell here in the season where he wasn't at his best, but... He's been fine for ages. Why, why is this? Why did this keep coming up? And he was, I mean, over the second half of the season, Trent was outstanding. He, he, was, he was really good. But any time there's any, any incident defensively where a winger will go past him, or it, I tell you, Raheem Sterling had his number, and he made Trent look bad. I'll accept that. Sterling, Trent couldn't, couldn't deal with him. But other than that, he was fine. And, and if Sterling's on form, Sterling's going to give anybody problems. And he didn't end the season well, but when he's playing well, he's mm-hmm. going to give any defender problems. And Trent struggled to deal with him, but he has dealt with him on other occasions. So it's this thing, it does, it winds me up. And it's so funny that, like, it's not just the Gareth Southgate thing, because there's speculation that Southgate wasn't going to pick Trent. And, like, I've, I've said to you boys this, like, when I'm in the car and I'll have the radio on and, like, I'll have talk sports on. And they're talking about it. And it's as though they were all sucked in by the fact that Southgate was thinking he might not take Trent. And they were all thinking, oh, he mustn't be that good then. Maybe, <laughs> maybe like, you know, they all, they all got, like, sucked in by the narrative. And I heard four different people on TalkSport picking England squads. And all four of them had three right-backs. None of them were Trent. Martin Keown was one of them. And I can't remember who the others were. But I'm listening and I'm thinking... What's going on? How is? I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm like it's like some big elaborate practical joke or something. Because of, never mind being the best right back. Trent is probably the second best player in that whole squad behind Harry Kane. You know, if you're talking about world class players, Harry Kane's a world class striker. And then who, who are the other world class players that England have got? Well, Trent is one of them. Yeah. Think and about a draft. Dave. Think, about, think about there was a draft. Think about if there was a draft, who you know, and you got to pick any player in the world. How soon do you think Trent would go, and how soon do you think the rest of them would go? You know what I mean? From any club in the world, Barcelona, Real Madrid, there are, Trent's there in the draft. It's, I mean, he's just such a talent. He's getting taken Tom miles Penny, before. Any, you know what I mean? He's getting taken before anyone yeah. else. That's the, that's the annoying thing. I agree with you about the defending, but even if he didn't, even if you thought, oh well, you know, Kyle Walker's a bit better of a defender. Yes, yeah, slightly, maybe. I mean, yeah. then you go for the defensive side. It's not. It, I, it, he has got the output of Kevin De Bruyne from right back. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> like, why is this? You, even you would live with it, wouldn't you? You'd it's, live yeah. with any any weakness. But I, I'm saying that the weakness isn't there. But you're saying if if it was, you'd live yeah. with it anyway. And yeah, I totally agree because you're getting so much more. It's it's just it's unfathomable. It's like saying I'm not going to pick Messi because he doesn't track back. <laughs> it, 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 it makes no sense it's like you're losing so much because of this one thing that you're looking at and going I'm not sure about that so I'm going to ignore 
all the amazing things because in my head I'm thinking, ooh, I'm not really sure about this. It's just, it's it's funny because I just think you don't deserve him. England does not deserve Trent. I just wish he was Scottish and you could have had Trent and Robbo playing fullbacks for Scotland. That, that would have just made me happy. Yeah, we basically we built our attack around him, and we got ninety-five points about three seasons in a row. But yeah, if you carry on going, you just don't take him. It's fine. He was only like nineteen, twenty, and he was still like we built our whole attack around getting the ball. But yeah, fine. If you don't need him, that makes sense. <laughs> um, re- re- really uh, interesting that, uh, and I completely agree with you with you both. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold is the best right back that England have. End of story. Um. <laughs> Kind of when you stick you two together, there's there's normally some disagreements. You've agreed with each other a lot, so I'm going to introduce a topic now where I know you divided. Um, and Genie, Genie went out them. Yeah, so um, I, I've long been outspoken about our owners, um, and I, I always will because I don't like them. Simple as that. And you can't argue with the transfer strategy; it's worked over the last three three or four seasons. But this one for me is a mind-boggler that we're letting our most reliable in terms of fitness, our least injury-prone and fantastic footballer to boot, we're letting Wijnaldum go for nothing when an improved contract offer might have kept him. So I kind of want to, like Dave, I know you're with me. I know you think it's it's uh, a bit of a strange one. So Stu, Stu do you, do you want to kind of like give us an insight yeah. as to why you think that it's not bad business to let him go? Okay, so my my stance on it is not that it's it's a bad decision or a good decision. My stance on it is that I think you can make a case either way, and I think it's if you're running a football club, I think you can make a perfectly good case either way. You start hearing that you know Bayern Munich were after him, and he was we're talking over three hundred grand a week. So we're talking over three hundred grand a week for a lad who thinks he's been thinks he's been underpaid. So he wants to get weighed in for a three year deal, probably. You've got to bear in mind, you're still paying him that money when he's 33, 34. And it's just, I understand the idea that you don't want your whole squad ageing at the same time. So if you're going to replace anyone, maybe you replace Genie this window. You try and bring someone else in, whoever it might be. Obviously, it's talk of Basuma and players like that. I do, I just get the business logic behind it. And I think there's been plenty of, Cases in the past where you end up lumbered with players that have their output drops, like Williams. Yeah, no, I think it's different. I think Genie's been super reliable. The amount of minutes he's put in, he's been he's been super reliable. He's been super resilient. You could make a case Genie's player of the season because he's just been available constantly. You know, and he's been constantly giving you that seven and a half out of ten. So there's an argument just for consistency and reliability. But I do get the idea that they're looking at, well, he's got no sell-on value either. So if we can, do we spend that money elsewhere? Do we spend, instead of 300 grand, we can bring someone in on 110, 120, and then we, we spend a transfer fee at the end of his contract. He's still got a value. I just think it makes it does make sense from a business point of view, and I can understand it, that if they're going to bring a replacement in, it isn't just as easy as we give Genie 300 and whatever grand he wants. And then we're still paying him that at 30 years old. But I do understand that, yeah, if you want another good three years out of him, you know, good James Milner years or whatever, but bear in mind it'd be on a lot more money than James Milner, then yeah. But, you know, maybe it's the time. Maybe it's the time that you go either way. You don't know. You don't know what Genie wants and you don't know 
whether how keen he is to go elsewhere either. You've got to bear that in mind. You know, he'll always make noises that he didn't want to leave, even if he did want to leave. So I just think it goes either way. I don't think it's madness, and I, I think I could I could understand it if they went either way on it. That's my stance. Um, part of that I agree with. Uh, only thing is, I highly doubt he's asking for three hundred grand a week from us. If that was the case, then I agree. I wouldn't say I wouldn't give it to him. I'd say sorry, like that's too much. Can't be giving you that because then other players are going to want parity with it, and we can't have like half the squad on three hundred grand a week. Um, but I don't think that that's how much he would have been asking for. Uh, but obviously, we don't know that. I don't think he wanted to leave. Um, you know, Stu said he wouldn't say if he did want to move on. I think he would. I think he would have just said, you know, I, I, I've been successful here. I want a new challenge. I want to go to Spain or I want to Germany, whatever. I think I think he, he would have been honest about it because no one would have thought any less of him if he'd have said that. So I, I don't I don't really buy that. I think he wanted to stay and he just wasn't given the contract that he wanted. Now, hopefully in time that'll come out. We, we, you know, we, he keeps threatening to say, you know, or the, uh, I'll explain eventually like what happens. And so it, when he when he does, then maybe we'll know more about it. But in theory, all, what I'm saying is, as long as he's not wanting to be top earner at the club, if he wants a significant pay rise, I would give me. Now I know Stu's saying um, it's paying him for past performances, and you don't want to be paying him when he's 33. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that if someone's been as underpaid as, relatively speaking, as yes, Genie has been. I mean. He's been playing every single week. He never misses a game. He sacrificed himself in terms of his style of play to, you know, to be a water carrier when he's so much more than that. And when he's needed to be so much more, he has been. You know, the games when we've we've been struggling, I'm like, look, we really we need something here. Genie getting himself in the box when he's got license to do that, and it's been in some of the biggest games when he's done it. The obvious ones, Barcelona, um, but it's. I just think. There's so much more. When you watch him playing for Holland, he's an attacking midfielder, but he, he plays for us and he sacrifices himself because this is what Klopp wants him to do. And you know that that's what Klopp wants him to do because he wouldn't be in the team so much. It's, so, like, it took me a while, to be fair. It took me a while to accept that. And a lot of the times, I used to always talk about invisible genie away from home and that. And it was frustrating that there's games where, like, you wouldn't see him. But the fact that he was getting picked constantly, eventually it dawned on me. I'm like, well, you know what? He must be doing exactly what Klopp wants him to do, because he wouldn't be getting picked otherwise. Do you know? So it, it's and I think well, for a player who can do so much more, and he sacrificed himself because that's what the team needs, and he's there every single week, never misses a game, and he's he's been one of the lowest paid players in the team for the for the five years he's been here because he's still on the same contract when he joined from Newcastle, and then. He's seen the likes of Cater coming in, probably getting more money than him and doing nothing. You know, Ox, much as I love Ox, he misses so many games with injury. Even Hendo, who we all love. Every season, Hendo has like a, a six-week injury, minimum. You know, so all of these players who are not, not there every single game, like Genie is. So I would be okay with paying him on past performances because he's earned it. Now, obviously, there's a limit to that. I'm not saying I'd, I'd, I'd go way overboard. And I also think when he's 33, there's no reason to think he's not going to be doing pretty much what he does now because, you know, he's super fit. He looks after mm. himself. 
you only have to look at Milner. Milner's 35. And, you know, you could, you could argue that we've been overpaying Milner the last few years because he, the contract he got on a Bosman, he was on, I think he said he was 150 grand a week. So he, he's been on that the whole time he's been here, even when he's not been playing every week. So why would you not give a, a big amount to somebody who plays all the time? So that's, that's one of the reasons why I think they should have given him a contract. The other reason... The situation we're in financially, it's like we're letting him leave for nothing. Now, you're now faced with two choices. You don't replace him, which is that's the rumour at the moment, is that they're not looking to replace him and it just means more games for Curtis. That would be fine if we had other midfielders who were reliable fitness-wise, but we haven't. you know. So I think he needs to be replaced. You've got a midfield player who's been available for, for every game last season. You're taking him out of the equation. Well, that leaves a big hole. It just does. And if you're relying on, like, Cater and Ox to fill it, then, you know, good luck with that. So you probably do have to replace him. Now, we don't know who that's going to be. Basuma's been mentioned. They're now saying not on the list, but you can never believe that because we always just downplay any potential targets. So what would he cost? Let's say Basuma is the man. You're looking at 30, 35 million quid that you're going to have to pay then maybe the contract he gets isn't going to be as big as what you would have had to give Genie to stay. But you're still having to pay like 30 million quid to get him in. So, and, and that 30 million, if the only transfer that you needed to do this summer was a, a midfielder to replace Genie, I'd be okay with that, spending 30 million on him. But we've just spent 40 on a centre-back. Now we might have to spend 30 on replacing Genie. What's going to be left in the pot for the forward that we need? Because we do need another forward in, in, into the mix. And that's my biggest concern is, well, I would have rather have just given Genie a, a contract to, to get him to stay and not have to pay that 30 million quid to, to replace him. And that 30 million quid goes with whatever else we've got left in the kitty and we can go and get a really good forward. So financially, I just don't think it makes sense. I, I can't okay. get my head around it. But what I would say is they may, they may well have a plan which will, will come out over the, the coming weeks and they may do something that will make me go, oh, you know what, yeah. Well done. I'm I'm totally on board with that. You know, you, you've done well there. So I'm holding judgments on that. But as things stand, I can't understand why you would do that. So I'm just hoping that there's a plan in place and it will all make sense in the end. I think that's like it's a perfectly fair like position to take. All, all I all I'd look at myself is you've got Henderson's thirty, you've got Milner's thirty five, Genie's thirty, Tiago thirty. You know, at some point you need to start refreshing that midfield, and I think you got to look at it as well, like balance sheet wise, asset wise, that you get rid of a player who's got no value. And I know you're saying that you've only got the thirty million pound in the pot, but you buy Bissouma for thirty million pounds at the end of his contract, he's still worth. You, you've still got the asset, so in theory, that asset, if we buy well, is worth more. It's worth fifty million. It's worth sixty million. So that's the way they'll look at it. Is get, there's all sorts of boring stuff about amortization of players and stuff like that, but. On, on the balance sheet, that's what they'll look at. They'll, how can we replace this player now? And if we have to pay money to replace him, we have to pay money. I just think, how long do you go then with Henderson, Milner, Genie, Thiago, Cater, Ox? There's not a lot of youth in there, is there? So at some point, you need to start renewing that midfield or, you've got to, or you're going to have to do it all at once. So that's that's all I'd say. I think he he could have a, he's got a perfectly good argument that he deserves that contract, um, and I I wouldn't say it was mad to give him it, but I'd say it was mad to keep them all on those contracts. Though I think at some point some of them are going to have to go. 
I, I agree with you. But my counterpoint to that would be the easy solution. You just bin Cater and replace Cater. <laughs> because it's got to be, you know, enough's enough now. You know, we can't just keep saying, oh, you know, he'll come good this year, he'll come good this year. He won't. He is what he is. It's a big enough sample size now for us to see. He's just going to come in. He's going to look all right. He'll have a couple of games here. You think, yeah, Nappy's done well there. And then he's injured and he's out. And then he'll come back and he'll play a couple of games here and there. One of them will be anonymous. The next one, he'll do a couple of nice things. And his little Twitter army of fans will all be saying, you know, get rid of Henderson, get rid of Genie. You know, it's build the team around Cater. And I'm scratching my head thinking, are he watching the same player as me? I'm not saying he's a bad player. But what I'm saying is he's never going to be like reliable enough that he's going to be playing at the level we need week in, week out. We've seen enough now to know that. And I think Klopp's seen enough. The fact that he hauled them off in that game, I wouldn't have taken them off in that game. I, I didn't think he was any worse than anybody else. But to yeah, do what Klopp did, it, it's like it's fairly damning of what he, he thought of that performance. As I say, I, didn't, I thought it was a bit unfair because others were probably worse than he was. But he was putting the team to do a specific job that day. And he didn't do it. And Klopp's like, look, I, I gave him the chance. I wanted him to do this. He's not done it. I'm getting him off. And and I just, and we haven't seen him since. I know he's had injuries again. Surprise, surprise. But honestly, I, I'll find it really difficult to take if we start next year and Kate is still here and Jeannie's gone. I, I, I just, that that's like, I'm not going to be able to get my head around that at all. I, because you're letting Jeannie leave for nothing. If Kate leaves, he's not going to leave on a free. I'm not saying we're going to get our money back but, you know, maybe you, you get 20 million, you, you sell them back to Bundesliga club, you get 20 million quid for them. Well, that makes more sense to me. And then you're saying about getting younger. Well, then, yeah, you buy the young midfield player you, you, to replace Keita, not to replace Wijnaldum. So that would be my argument to that. But I agree with a lot of what you said there. But yeah, I, yeah I, Keita's I 25, though. That's, that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah, age profile-wise, that's what they'll probably be looking at, is it like Keita's five years younger? Yeah, but what, what, what good is that? If he's not playing, he might be five years younger, but Genie's Mr. Indestructible. He plays every single game. And you're lucky if you're getting like a third of a season onto Cater. So that's what I mean. Is like, I, I would happily just sell Cater and go and get, whether it's Basuma. I like Ward Prowse. I'd, I'd be quite happy to get Ward Prowse in to replace Cater, but keep Genie as well. But that, that's now. I'm saying all this now, and it may look stupid in a couple of weeks when, when they pull a rabbit out the hat and they'd be bringing a midfielder, and we're all like, whoa, have we got him? Like, oh, this is great. So, as I say, I am re- reserving judgments on it in, until the season starts, but I just it's baffling to me how the first one out the door isn't Cater. No, I don't think it'll sound daft. I think it's it's just a different position. I don't think it'll sound daft. My position is, and that... then there's Ox as well. You know, there's a situation there. It's like, what do you do about Ox? I really like him. I, you know, but what did he contribute last season? Like virtually nothing. And and it's not all his fault because a lot of it's on Klopp when he plays him in the front three. I mean, he's as much use as like an ashtray on a motorbike. There's no point putting Ox in the front three. He's he's, and this is not a criticism of Ox at all. It's like he's, but he, he can't play in the front three. He's just no good. But as a, as a midfielder, you know, box to box midfielder, getting shots in, you know, driving at, at the opposition, I like him a lot. But he couldn't get a game when we had no midfielders. And I, what what does that say? You know, because I know he he was injured for part of the season, but he was on the bench a hell of a lot when we had like Henderson and Fabinho playing in defence, mm-hmm. and he still couldn't get in. And it, it's like, what does that say about him? So 
you've got Ox and you've got Cater, I'd happily move either of them on and keep Genie. That that's all, all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm definitely on on your side, Dave. But where I vary is, um, you, you know, I, I'm not convinced that we can bring in a, a more suitable or higher standard of player on a smart transfer. I think that would be very difficult to do. We might well go well, and just just on that though, Dan. Just quickly on that, um, I think they can because they've done it time and time again. You know, they know what they're doing. But just something that I want to just pick up on because. Um, Genie going to me, that's like zero percent to do with FSG. I know you don't like the owners, that would not be their decision. It would be the decision like that would be taken by Edwards and Klopp, and the owners go along with whatever. They would not be saying to Klopp, You're not keeping one album. They just, I just don't, don't believe that they're interfering in those kind of decisions. So, I don't think this is an ownership thing about Genie going. Now, you can say it's like the overall policy of not wanting the squad to get to all and all that. Well, that's just a, that's a reality. That's not like to do with our owners. That, that's sensible policy where you don't want the whole team getting old at the same time. Um, so, I don't think it, it would be fair to blame the owners for that. But also, to me, it's just the, situ- the financial situation because of COVID and that. I think that changes things and that's why. I think letting Genie leave for nothing's a mistake. Under normal circumstances, all the arguments that Stu made, I could get on board with that. I just think this is a, a different summer. But I don't know what our budget is. Maybe, you know, the deal that they've done with, with, with the investments, maybe that's freed up a load of transfer cash. Who knows? You know, that, that's what I'm saying. I'm reserving judgments on it because I don't know what the plans are. They're not going to bring in someone genie standard. They're going to bring in, you know, a 24-year-old, 23-year-old who they hope in a couple of years is at genie's level. I think, you know, I think you're going to struggle to replace someone quality for quality right now, but that's probably what they're looking to do. But the arguments also could be that they brought in Thiago last year. Yeah, I think there's a difference. Yeah, I think you're trying to improve a 100-point team, and I think... It takes something a bit special at that point to do that. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. All I'm saying is you, you could make the argument that he was Genie's replacement. It was like right. bring Thiago in now as Genie's replacement. So if they do buy the 23, 24-year-old who's going to get to that level in a couple of years, that may well be the plan. And what they'd say is, well, we brought in the ready-made player last yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my... my um my philosophy on it is bring me Yuri T. Elmans. But uh, I know I know neither of you two are particularly not for me. fans. No, not for me. Good player, but not it doesn't blow me away, not at all. Um we'll we'll come on to transfers again in a little bit. Um what one another player I wanted to mention and I, I really do feel bad for being so so down on him and so critical because I, I love Bobby Firmino but I think his form has been a concern for long enough now to to ask the question, you know, like, do we kind of stick with him or do we look to to move him along if possible? And in a COVID world, that wouldn't be easy anyway. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get good value for him. I, I th- I'm I'm probably a bit more of a I'd probably be a bit less harsh on him than you two will be, I'd imagine. But I, I'm still waiting for the idea that with a proper preseason and with a few other lads to rotate, I'd I'd like to see. If with a, a bit of freshness, whether we can get get a better season out of him. Um, but I think yeah, this this year wasn't good um, finishing wise. Him and Mane were poor. 
um, given the opportunities they had. Uh, but I, st- I still think he's a, he's, a, he's a unique footballer and he, he more than anyone, I'd be looking to hold on to. Because, I don't th- again, I don't think he'll be on stupid money. He's 28 years old. Um, when people are saying, let's get rid of him, that, that to me is madness. I, I'd just be like, unless someone's going to come and give you a daft offer for him, I'd definitely be keeping him. How often he plays, if Jota's pushing him out the side, um, we'll see. But I, I quite like the idea of those four rotating a bit more, hopefully being a bit fresher and maybe getting a bit more out of them. No, I, I don't disagree with that, but I've got a slightly different reasoning behind it. Um, I wouldn't sell them because even if we replaced them, I still think we're a forward short anyway. So I wouldn't be looking to get rid of him. I would certainly be looking to reduce his playing time unless he deserves it. You know, if he's playing well, great, he can play. But what we've seen over the last two years, even the season we won the title, he wasn't great. You know, he had spells where like, he yep. was just not really doing it. Uh, and I only I feel like only part of that is his fault. I think another part of it is just to do with, you know, when you play a certain way, after after a certain amount of time, all these teams, they've all got analysts who, who like, that's their job is to study how these teams play and yeah. what can you do to stop it. And I just think a lot of teams have just targeted Firmino as, as like, like, we've got to stop him and then that reduces the impact of Salah and Mane. If you keep him quiet it's easier to do a job on Salah and Mane. If Firmino's running riot, it just, you know, the, 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 the whole team just plays so much better. But if you've shackled him to the point where, you know, he just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and he's picking the ball up off, off the back four and he's not doing anything and it's like, what's the point? But he's doing it because he's trying to get on the ball. But teams are restricting the space that he likes to play in. And I think the certain games where... He couldn't really do much more because it's it's just the team's just setting out to stop him, and you've got to freshen it up a bit. And we did that with Jota, and he was a breath of fresh air because teams teams were prepared for how do you play against Liverpool with Firmino playing, and then all of a sudden you throw Jota in the mix, and it just changed everything up. And like you know, Jota was was scoring goals, he was enjoying himself, and everyone's like, yeah, get Bobby out the team, and. I was like that as well, you know. He's, he's done my head in at times, but I, I'm I'm not at the point where I'd sell him because I still think we need. Even if we sold him, that just means we've got to buy two strikers for me. I say strikers, I mean forwards. You know, whether it's a wide player, central. I think we need both. So I wouldn't be moving him on. I'd be moving Origi on, and even if Firmino ends up in Origi's spot on the bench until he, he, you know, unless he's playing well enough that he's in the team. But that's how I would do it. I would be improving the bench by putting Firmino on the bench and bringing in another forward, you know, to compete with, with the other three, like Jota, Salamani, you, you bring somebody else in of that level and you've got Bobby as well. So you've got five, three of them are playing and you've got two on the bench. You can rotate it, which helps them all because, you know, as Stu said, that the three of them played a ridiculous amount of games over the last three years. Maybe that's what's caught up with them. I don't necessarily think that's what's happened with Bobby because... He, he has had like he's been on the bench a bit this season, and you know it's it's he's not a lost cause because he has games where you're like there's the old Bobby there, and then he's the next game he's not. It's just consistency with him. Whereas with Sadio, Sadio was just awful for months. Firmino wasn't really like that because he still had good games in between. He just couldn't put like a run of games together. Yeah, so I think, I think if... selling them would be pointless because you wouldn't get like top market value for him. You've still got to replace him as well as get another forward. So, no, he, he, he needs to stay. 
I think um, I think if he was if he was putting his his chances away, I think a lot of the criticism would go away because I think still I think we, we've almost got used to we've just got used to what he does and how he works the ball forward and stuff like that. When you look at it, he still carries the ball well. He still moves the ball forward well. He's still pressing well. You know, compared to his numbers are comparable to anyone on on like putting pressure on people and winning us the ball back, things like that. I think it's just like you look at his chances and basically he's not putting his chances away. He's 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 giving us half the goals he should be from his chances. So you know we're giving him chances where he should be scoring like four goals in ten games and he's getting two. So that's why he's just not putting his chances away. And I think a lot of that, maybe that's as well, because you're so used to giving it to the two boys either side of you that you sometimes he hasn't got that killer instinct in him. But then again, I don't think he's ever had that really, has he, to be honest? He's always been somebody who facilitates everyone else around him. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to, like I said, I'd like to see a season where he gets a pre-season, he gets a rest this summer, um, and then we've got all four of them. Uh, fit and firing, and maybe as Dave says as well, you know, someone else to change up if Origi's going, another option in there, keep them all fresh. Because um, I just think, yeah, that might be the difference if we've got just different options we can change in and out. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I mean, I, I'm not I, I'm not for Bobby being so, because I just don't think it's realistic. But I, I am all for definitely having another option to come on and say, right, okay, Bobby's out and Yoss is wide left, so we have player X to play through the middle. Um, but that that's a different problem altogether. If, if we then look at our transfers for the over summer, we're kind of like wanted to get a, a wish list from both of you. Obviously, we've signed um, Konate from uh, Red Bull. Hopefully, he's better than our last two signings from the respective Red Bull teams. Uh, he's not come cheap, but centre half, quick, strong. Exactly what we were looking for. Um, so that that was a, a bit of a no-brainer of a transfer, bringing in a top-class centre half. What else have you guys got your um, got your eye on? I think we need another centre forward, as as Dave has said, and I, I kind of think we need a bit more work in midfield, possibly than you two do. I think we should be looking to move on Ox and Keter if possible. Mm. Um, right, go on then. I'll jump in first, shall I? I, I think. Um... A full-back, I think someone who could fill in left and right-back would be a nice option. I don't know if there's one of them knocking around. Not James Milner, then? I, no, I haven't got anyone particularly in mind, but someone's got to pick up the workload um, from those two boys. So we need a, an option in there. Whether that's going to be Joe Gomez when he's fit, which we have to change everything a little bit because he's, he's more limited. But it'd be interesting to see if they've got someone lined up, I think, for the, um, for the left and right-back slot. And when we were talking about transfers before, obviously we were talking about Basuma. It was interesting, actually, because I thought, I thought I'll have a look at uh, Genie Wijnaldum and see, you know, who plays in a similar way to Genie Wijnaldum and how do we replace that. And they're not very similar players, to be honest. Um, I was looking at Basuma. Basuma's like, he, he carries it forward a lot. He dribbles forward a lot. He gets a lot of tackles, a lot of interceptions, and he carries the ball forward a lot. Um, so I wonder if that's the sort of thing we're looking for. Uh Someone who I was chatting to you boys about uh, in the week as well, I so saw, was um, Mario Lamina, who's at Fulham. He's a very, very similar profile to Basuma, and I was just wondering. He's, you know, he's been at uh, he's been at Juve. I've always been relatively impressed with him when I've seen him. 
I just wonder with them going down if there's some sort of you know fiddle on whether you could get him cheap or whether you could put a bit of pressure on him. So don't know. That's one option. Um, what else did they have a look at? Ball playing midfielder. There's um, there's a lad uh, Bruno Gumage who plays in France and he's your sort of Thiago model. He's just had a good season in France. Um, I think he plays for Lyon. Um, Arsenal were after him a year ago, so I don't know whether he'd be able to move over. But he's like 99th percentile tackles, and then he can pass forward as well. Looks a really good competitive midfielder. I wonder whether he'd move one year after a move. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And then forwards, I tell you, I've been really impressed with Joe Willock. Joe Willock, when I've been doing a bit, little bit of research here for this, is I'm surprised he's like he scored. What is he scored about eight or nine goals? And apparently that's from about three goals worth of chances. So he's like massively overperforming the chances he gets. You look at tackles and interceptions. He's miles ahead on that. Pressing, he's like again miles ahead of everyone on that. And I've never really, I've never really paid that much attention to him. But yeah, if someone offered me the chance to try and uh, try and sneak in and take Joe Willock, I'm I'm uh, I'm all in on a goal score from midfield now, and uh, I'm pretty impressed with the kid. Um, but forwards, I've not really. I don't know if Dave's got any forwards he wants to throw at me. Then I'd be interested. It just comes down to budget, doesn't it? I, 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 I don't know. I mean, we we know like the big names. We're not getting them. We haven't got the money to do it. Um, so whether they just do what they did last year and and go shopping at Wolves and you know Neto, oh, Podence, I like Neto. I like Podence as well. Um, Podence is basically Jota. He's exactly like Jota. He looks like him, runs like him, plays like him. Um, he missed quite a lot of games through injury, though. But uh, Neto's something a bit different. He's a dribbler. Mm. You know, he, he looks like he brings something a little bit different, maybe. So maybe it just depends on, on budget, what they're prepared to spend on forwards. And you know, I'm sure there's plenty of forwards around Europe as well. In terms of, basically, we need a midfielder. We need another forward, and I take your point on on like you know fullback because Trent and Rob are playing every single game, and that can't continue. You know whether they you know Chimikas, he was injured quite a lot, but when he wasn't injured, he still wasn't playing. And what does that just tell us? He's not good enough, or does he just need time to adapt? We'll see how that that plays out. I don't I don't think they'll give up on him yet, so I don't think we'll be signing a left back, uh, right back. Nico didn't really progress this season at all, but to be fair, he barely played, did he? Um, and Trent's so good. It's like, but what you do, you, you could, you could possibly. I wouldn't do this, but you know, there's there's an argument for signing another right back. So occasionally, Trent might move into midfield, and the other right back plays, or Trent gets rested. I I wouldn't put Trent in midfield. I think Stu probably agrees with me on this. That why why would you move him? I agree. The job he's doing where he is. Why would you you weaken in two positions? Because you're not going to get more from him in, in midfield than you're getting from him now. But whoever comes in at right back is not going to do what Trent's doing. So it, to me, it's like it's a Fabinho or centre back situation. Yeah, he could probably do it, and he'd, he'd do a decent job in midfield. But I just think you, you you're weakening two positions by doing that. But I do think we need if if they haven't got faith in Nico to come in and be Trent's back up, then they're going to need to get somebody in. Um, who that is, I don't know, but I do think like the way that modern fullbacks are now, there's probably a lot of players out there, 
young lads especially, you know, because it, it seems to be there's like a lot of young right backs coming through. Rhys James at Chelsea, the, the lad he was he was at Chelsea with him. Chelsea had to let him go to Brighton. Lancy, he was he's great. Missed him. most of last season, but yeah, I I seen him playing against our under 18s and then the under 21s at the academy. He was phenomenal. He absolutely tore us to pieces from right back. So I, I was keeping an eye on him, like just based on what what I'd seen at youth level, and then when uh, when Chelsea let him go, I thought it was a bit of a surprise because like he just got in their team, he played a couple of games and done well, and then they've obviously let him go because they've got Reese James, and I'm not knocking that decision because Reese James is really good, but he, he went to Brighton and he just looked like a well beater, and then obviously we've been injured for months, like he missed most of last season, so I don't know what 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 the injury was. But maybe somebody like that, but it costs a lot of money, and you're not going to spend that kind of money on on a backup for Trent. So yeah, the fullbacks a tricky one. Like in an ideal world, you probably would want want to bring somebody in. I just don't know how practical it is to do that when money's an issue and we've got more mm. pressing needs. So yeah, midfielder and a forward. If we only sign two more players this summer, I'm okay with that as long as they're like ready-made, they can go straight in the first team, and they're at the same level as the players we've got now. You know, somebody you wouldn't bring in and think, oh, well, we can now because they're playing. You know, like, because to be fair, when we signed Jota, not many people w- would have said, you can put him in the first team and we won't be any weaker. Mm. You would have thought, there's a bit of a, he's a good player, like him, good signing, but there's going to be a bit of a drop-off if he comes in for one of the others. And as it turned out, there wasn't, because he, he, he came in and you could tell straight away, all right, he's at the level of, of like Salah and Mane now, you know, when because he, he was mostly playing wide to start with, and and then like he played centre forward against Atalanta, didn't he? And he got the hat trick, mm. and that's when you look at him and think he's at that, their level. We've got four forwards now. We're picking three from four. It's not like when we've got a Rigi there, and it's like yeah, we've got the front three, and then well, Rigi can come and fill in and do a job. No. Actually, got selection headache, and that's what it would. Be. If we only bring in two more players, I want them to be players that's going to give Klopp a, a genuine dilemma, as in who am I going to pick for this game? So mm. we need people who are good enough to come into the team, and we don't need loads of players. That's the thing, you know. Two players would be fine, and then yeah, if you can get a fullback as well, great. But I don't think that's like you know a, a desperate need. So who that is, I don't know. They'll have like a long list of players. I'm sure they will. Personally, I've said that I like Ward Prowse. He's someone who I think fits how we play. I could see him slotting in. He's really energetic. You know, his passing's great. His set pieces are brilliant. He'll put his foot in. He's, he's got a little bit of snide about him. Uh, he's somebody I, I really like. But you know, I'm not going all out saying yeah, mm-hmm. go and get him because I'm sure there's plenty of other players who we can bring in. He'll do a good job. So Basuma would be another one, but there may be someone who we've never even heard of. It's not being mentioned. Someone playing in Portugal or mm. France or something. Who knows? I think it'll probably depend on what we get in as well, won't it? Because you look at the you look at the likes of Cater, you look at Ox, even Shaq. You look at those players, and it might depend on if anyone wants them. You know, if, if yeah. someone like West Ham or you know Everton or so, someone in that mid that sort of like mid table to Champions League places. Harry Wilson, Marco Kriic. Yeah, there there is plenty. I mean, in theory, you could maybe bring in like 60 million quid just on on outgoings and then add that to what you've already got. Maybe it means you you can bring in a a higher calibre of player. Who knows? Harlan. Harlan. That's not happening, Dan. You can forget about that one. Yeah, (laughs) unfortunately so, yeah. (laughs) 
he's too ugly to play for us anyway. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want that face in our team. Great player, but he's the most punchable face outside of Richarlison. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you want to talk to me about Mbappe... Then we have a conversation, <laughs> but Haaland, no. Yeah, it's it's going to break Paul's heart, isn't it? But um, it's it's not happening. The the Red Mbappe twenty twenty one is just a. Uh... Well, it's not happening. But, but that's because Nike need to get the finger out. What's the point in us going and getting a kid deal with them if they're not going to like box him off to come here? You know, he's their their biggest footballer. We're their biggest team. But get him over here, do something. You know, we can't like. Do it all ourselves. Mike's <laughs> going to have to pitch in here somehow. <laughs> but he, Mbappe would love to come here. You can tell, you know, it, it, and there's something going on with with him and Klopp. You know, how, how does how's Klopp mates with Mbappe's dad? How does that happen? Yeah. You know, there's there's obviously conversations that are taking place and like and they know each other because that that thing at the FIFA Awards was just weird. Klopp walks into a room and you see someone shouts him and he looks over and he's like, ah, and he goes over and it's Mbappe's dad. And Klopp's like, you know, playing around, like fake boxing with him, like pretends to punch him and stuff. That was just weird. I think that, that you don't do that with someone unless you know them. So how does he know Mbappe's dad? So we must have had talks with him over, over a period of time. And I'm not saying it's realistic that he can actually do a deal. But they obviously would like to do it, and he'd like to come here. And it's just about whether that you know you can you can make the finances work, which highly unlikely that you can't. But you know you never know, do you? It, it, it just there's too many little things that point towards you know he, he's with Nike. We, we've got a Nike kit, like LeBron's been like doing marketing with him, and you think Nike would love him to be here, but we can't pay him like four hundred grand a week or whatever it is. So. Nike would have to just give him a bigger contract as, as compensation for taking a pay cut. Would be would be lovely for that to happen. That's that's long been the rumor, hasn't it? But um, mm. I, I think we can hope for it, Dave. But I, I'm not convinced it's going to happen. Not least because no, P- neither am I. No, not at all. P- PSG are one of the, the probably three teams in the world who don't need to sell ever. They don't need just... to sell, but his contract's up in a year. Is it? Is it twelve months? I think so, yeah. He didn't sign a new contract, did he? I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe I've missed that. But his contract's going to run out at some point. He's not going to tie himself down for five years. So his contract will be coming to an end at, at some point. And then it's a case of wages. Well, ordinarily, you'd say, yeah, Real Madrid. But you know, Real Madrid's skint. Barcelona's skint. They can't afford to do it. So then you're left with, like, City, United, maybe Chelsea. Who else can afford to pay him? And then if it's about the money, well, then he could just stay at PSG, but I don't think he's going to want to do that. He's going to want to test himself in a different league. Mm-hmm. So it's it's only the money aspect that, that makes us outsiders, really, because otherwise everything would point to it. It would make perfect sense for he wants to come here. We'd love to sign him. Klopp's obviously like a massive fan of his, but as ever, it just comes down to the finances, and that's usually what where we end up missing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I do think that the finances are going to change now. You know, I think like wages are going to have to come down. Transfer fees are not going to be as mad because teams have lost too much money. They can't carry on spending the way they are. I think you've seen that kind of shifting in the balance as well, Dave, haven't you? With the TV deal that was agreed recently, the extension that was kind of to head off like a, a reduction in the cost per unit. Um, and it was the best deal for all parties that deal just be extended. 
So I think you, you might see next time, so another three years, you, you might see a reduction in TV money, which will, of course, then lead in turn to reduction in wages and transfer fees. And, of course, we've not got a Bournemouth to bankroll us anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> it's a, a real shame. Um, just just one one last thing before we finish. I think it would be a a missed opportunity for us to not talk about the the aborted Super League plan. We we kind of watched that that night and that day after un, unfold, and we were just all in complete shock that the the club had kind of pulled the trigger and they hadn't spoke to Jurgen, and it was just all all a bit of a mess. But I just wanted to to, to get your thoughts on that couple of days and. And kind of like how close we were to completely tarnishing our legacy. It's kind of been, I don't want to use the word forgotten about because it hasn't, but like Sky have stopped squawking about it. Um, Gary Neville stopped squawking about it. Um, hmm. You know, it, it seems to have kind of died down and we're not getting processed outside grounds anymore. And um, it, it kind of, the, the, the process died a death pretty much as quick as the, the, the league itself did, didn't they? Yeah, uh, for me it was more. I was just disappointed that it, it's the amateurism, really. I mean, we we like to think that the. I know you don't particularly like the owners that much, Dan, but I mean, Liverpool has been one of the best run football clubs in the world for like yeah. three or four years. Absolutely. And and all right, they've dropped the ball on a few things where they, when it comes to the fans and trying to make money and would be tickets and stuff like that. And you just thought you just like to think they were learning a bit. And the, there is, you know, it's the competence element for me that they've not, they've not thought to ask people, and then they've sort of pulled out of it and bottled it and gone back on it. Well, that I'd almost, it almost makes more sense to me if they just gone, well, we know you're not going to like it, and we're going to crack on anyway because we want the money and we we think it's the right thing to do because we want to just box off all the money forever and ever and ever. I'd almost. I'd almost feel a little bit better with that, with thinking that, yeah, because they're just cold, hard capitalists and that's what they want to do. It's almost a bit more embarrassing that they didn't even think, they didn't think they'd be pushed back or they didn't think it'd be that bad. And now they've rode back on it a bit. And it's, yeah, it's all a bit embarrassing, really. But I mean, it, it'll come back again. It's There's nothing you can, you, there's nothing you can do about it because, well, there's almost nothing you can do about it because all of those, all the clubs, doesn't matter what level, they're all trying to box each other off. That's why it's so laughable when the clubs who weren't invited were kicking off about it. They would rip your arm off to be invited and be in it. You know, the, the clubs in the mid-table of the Premier League, like they're not looking out for anyone else other than themselves. You know, I don't want the. I'm a Liverpool fan. I don't want the European Super League. It's a terrible idea. But don't come lecturing me about the good of the game because you're not handing any more money down to the Championship. You're not handing any more money down to grassroots. So don't give me that. And you would have been invited. You would have been straight involved. Um, but yeah, it seems yeah, like it's died down. Like Betty go out of business, didn't he? Yeah, I'm surprised. Not, none, of them, none of them got think, involved there. So yeah, the everyone's acting in their self-interest. Yeah, the league as a whole, I'm surprised there hasn't been a bit more pushback. Sometimes, you know, you feel like, why don't the other 16 clubs kick off a bit more and, you know, or the other 14 clubs or whatever um, and try and put the these six clubs in their place, you know, since they say, behave yourselves or, you know, go and play somewhere else or whatever. But know, money talks and they're all a little bit too scared, it feels like, to, to make a move. 
against the big six because that's where all the money comes from the TV contracts stuff like that but you don't you don't bite the hand that feeds you though without the no. big six they'd be, they'd be nothing all the money that they're bringing in they're not getting that money if if the, if the big six aren't in the league you know if the, if they wanted to to start playing silly beggars and talk about like massive points deductions and stuff like that if if the six teams went all right then you're going to I'm not saying this is going to happen but in in theory the six teams could go right we're getting on the phone to Celtic and Rangers, Sunderland, Birmingham, you know, bigger clubs in in the lower leagues, and we'll form our own Premier League. And let's see which which the TV companies who do they want to televise? Yeah. Do they want to televise us, or do they want Burnley v Everton? You know, so <laughs> they they need they need the the, the the big six, so they're not going to do anything. They can cry about it all they like, and and I'm don't get me wrong, I'm against the the, the whole thing. But the only reason why I was against it was because of the whole no relegation and guaranteed places. That was just staggeringly arrogant. That like you think you can have a, a league that you've got a divine right to be in. Tottenham and Arsenal having a divine right to be in this league. What were they European pedigree? And I'm not singling them out because I, I'm saying the same thing for us. We haven't got a divine right to be in it either. So this thing where there was no relegation, but they were going to invite five teams every year. Why is, like, say, I'll use Leicester as an example. Why would Leicester accept an invitation for one year to play in, in this competition? And in the meantime, they piss off UEFA, so they'll be banned from, like, whatever competition UEFA have got running. It made no sense. It was, it was so badly thought through that the only conclusion I could come, for, come to after the way it played out was that they weren't ready for that announcement to be made. And it's like... Big mouth in Spain, Perez or the Barcelona guy. Yeah. One of them shot the mouth off, and then everyone else was like, "Oh my God, no, we're not ready for this yet." But now we've all got to come out and say, "Yeah, we're on board," because they didn't have any presentation or anything. You know, if you were going to announce something like that, you'd have a big slideshow, all your graphics, and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. They had nothing. It was so amateurish that I just think, and and the, and the fact that they hadn't spoken to Klopp, say whatever you like about about FSG, but they love Klopp. And they respect him, and they just would not have gone behind his back. I just don't think they were far enough down the line where they were ready to make that announcement. And it caught everyone on the hop because over in Spain, one of them was on a TV show, wasn't he? And, and he was like shooting his mouth off. And then before you know it, rumours are leaked, and, and everyone's like, "What's going on here?" And they've had to come out and say, "Yeah, we're in this." And I just because none, you know, Guardiola hadn't been told about it. I think Arteta said he didn't know anything. Mourinho knew nothing. So they had, none of the clubs had spoken to the managers, which is not normal. That's not an, a normal thing that these clubs would not have consulted or at least said, look, this is what's going to happen. We're announcing it this week. For them to be caught on the hop tells me they weren't ready for that to come out. And it's, it's because like some Billy Big Bollocks at Real Madrid or Barcelona had, had gone uh, shooting the mouth off before everybody else was ready for, to get out. And it's caught them on the back foot. They weren't ready. They didn't have a proper plan. And it, the, the backlash has caught them. They've, they've not had any response to the backlash. And they just have to run away with the tail between the legs, basically. You know, and John Henry coming out with a, an apology. And that was a sincere apology. It was. You know, the thing is, billionaire Americans who own sports franchises do not lightly apologize for anything. It's just not yeah. in their makeup. And he did it because... He, he knew he was like, oh God, you know, we've we really cocked this up here, and you know, we've let Jürgen down. It was sincere, whatever you think of him. That apology, he didn't have to go. None of the others did it. You know, they, 
putting out a statement on a website's one thing. Actually sitting in front of a camera and groveling like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you don't do that unless you, unless there's like a sincerity about it. So I, I think like, I know, you know, the other thing, if you're, put yourself in, in like, the, you know, you own Liverpool and so like Real Madrid and Barcelona and Juventus are like, look, we want to have talks about we're pissed off with UEFA. We don't like how this is going and, and that's going. And, you know, UEFA are taking a bigger slice of the pie and the tickets for finals is a joke and all these other grievances they've got against UEFA. And we want to start our own league where we split the money, you know, all for the TV rights. We're cutting off the middleman. The money all goes to us. We want to do this. If, you, if you're at Liverpool, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, no, no, we don't want no part of that? You, you, hmm. you feel like you're Liverpool. You've got to be a part of those discussions because you're one of the biggest clubs in, in Europe. So you've got to be part of the discussions. So I don't think they had a choice in that sense. What where I'd be concerned is if they were one of the ringleaders. If, if it, like if they were the ones driving the bus rather than they see the bus going past and think, shit, we need to get on this. Or otherwise we're going to be stood here at the bus stop and the pissing down rain with Everton. We need to get on that bus. <laughs> So, what what you do? Seriously, though, what you do in that situation? You've got to be part of those discussions. And then, if all the other clubs are like, "Yeah, we're going ahead with it," you're not going to be the one to say, "Well, actually, you know, we don't really want a part of it." And especially because you know they come from like American sports culture, where it's totally different to how we see things. They don't have relegation over there, so the idea that you've got this guaranteed money coming in all the time and no threat of relegation. Like, you can say they were being greedy. And, yeah, there's, there's an element of that. But I'd also say they also thought that in addition to raising the, the, the value of the club and, and in, in, in the future, that's going to, you know, their investments is going to be like triple, quadruple, whatever. In addition to that, they will have also thought this is really good for Liverpool because they're going to be able to attract all the biggest players. Like, after we're gone, we're going to leave them in a really good position. So it wasn't just like they were being like rats like Gillette and Hicks, I don't think the motivation for it was, was like, all bad. I think, like, as well as them, them making money for themselves, they've also thought, we've got to go along with this. This this is, like, it's, it's a game-changer, the amount of money that will be coming in. And, you know, we're, we're at, like, the top table every year. We'll be able to attract all the best players. Of course they were going to be tempted by that. But, once again... There's a backlash, and they've gone, oh, oh shit, what have we done? And I grovel an apology, and it, it's happened like you know three, four times now. So it's not a good look for them. But I didn't have like a, I, I, I don't, I don't have any like, I'm not taking that personally. You know, I'm not looking at that and going, they've got to go because they wanted to be part of the Super League. You know, the, the likes of Arsenal. They're not kicking off at their at their owners because of the Super League. That's a convenient excuse. Yeah, they just yeah, you know yeah. they've got good reasons for wanting them out. The same with United at the Glazers. The Super League's just an excuse. It's nothing because I guarantee if Man United had said, "Oh, we're not being part of that Super League," and that Super League went ahead without Man United, Man United's fans would be steaming about that. They'd be like, "Why are we not part of that?" So it's, the Super League's not why the all fans are like kicking off about the owners. They've got good reasons for wanting owners out, and the Super League just brought it into into focus, and everyone was talking about it, and it gave them something to rally around. But the whole concept of the Super League, I mean, anything that cuts your for out, I'm I'm actually like quite on board with that. <laughs> if it was done, if it was done right, but it wasn't done right because there's no relegation. But you know, you look at like the the cup, the, the final allocation, and like you've got a ninety thousand seat stadium, and they're giving fans for each team like twelve thousand tickets. 
because the UEFA family I've, I've got to be looked after and it's like nah that's bollocks you know any, anything that cuts UEFA out of it I'm okay with but it's got to be done right and, and that was so far from being right it was just not, not even you know it never got off the ground because it was so badly thought out but the idea of, of like a Super League breaking away from UEFA that in itself is, is not like I don't, I don't see why people would have a massive issue with that because you know UEFA is are as corrupt as anything. Mm. Yeah, I suppose the idea is that they, if you've just got the twenty clubs running it, though they don't, they're not going to give, they're not going to care about you know Swedish football or you know Dutch football or anything like that, are they? And it's it's hard because you're not going to get if we could sit here and design a system, you know. That was fair and that had promotion and relegation and was good for the for all the teams. Then they're, they're not interested in that, and that's the problem. Is that I can't yeah. see any, you can't see any model that doesn't involve the very wealthy clubs looking to box off all the money for themselves because yeah, you know, I mean either you know you've got like plutocrats and whole countries that are running football clubs, or you've got guys who are businessmen who you know who want who want to make the asset be worth as much money as possible and, and take money out of it. I think we've we've probably just accepted that our owners are almost as good as you can expect um, to stand, still be competing at the top level. You know, they run as a business. They, they We only we only spend uh, profits that come in. They don't put money into it, or much money into it, and I don't mind that. But there's just, I don't know, you just look at those 20 clubs and there's limited as to how how fair you think anything that they're ever going to build can be for the rest of football and how good it could be. I mean, the, the thing as well for me, I mean, I know the I know the, the US system worked well for a lot of those clubs, but you give it five years and Tottenham are like they're Euro Brighton. So how, <laughs> how, yeah, how they are, they are, and Arsenal. How how you know how popular do Arsenal fans think that Arsenal are going to be when they're bottom of the European League every single season? Because mm-hmm. that's what will happen. You know, the big teams will be the, t- you know, the decent teams will be at the top, poorly run teams will be at the bottom. I just think I don't think they've thought that through. They want to be in. I mean, maybe they get boxed off with TV money, and so that's fine and you know they can just keep plucking players out of all the other um, European divisions but I think for stuff like advertising and kit deals and stuff like that no one wants to be sponsoring bottom and that's what you are now you're bottom you're not sixth you're not in the big top six you're bottom every year you're one of the bottom two bottom three because you're one of the worst teams in the European League just think they haven't probably thought that through yeah yeah, he'd still be in the Premier League though wouldn't he so you know, they might be top four in the Premier League and, you know, bottom of the, the European League, but they're still a top Premier League side. So they probably look at it from, from that point of view. But no, I, I agree with what you're saying. And also, you know, you, you can't have like a European Super League without Ajax. You can't be like, oh, they're too small to be in it. So, yeah, it's, you know, and then Benfica, Sport and Lisbon, all like traditional big teams throughout Europe who are maybe they're not like financial powerhouses like the the English teams and that now. So, yeah, I, I agree that they wouldn't do it right. You know, you can't get owners of all of these clubs together and, and they'll come up with something good because they're, they're just not because we've seen what happens with the, with the no relegation thing. You know, if they think that that could possibly have, have been accepted by people, it shows how out of touch they all are. 
that that was what struck me the most about the whole thing. You know, I wanted to hear the proposals because it just makes sense to hear the proposals. But it was like we'll let you know about the the five guest teams. It's like hang on a second. You know, like you need to have a route in and out without upsetting you UEFA for a start. Which yeah, is so condescending though. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, we'll let five teams come and play with us. Yeah, it was it was a non-starter. It, it, as soon as that was released with that information, it's a non-starter because, as you say, Dave, it's extremely patronising to to other teams, and it, it's just impractical because UEFA aren't going to come and let Ajax come and play for a season in this league or Benfica come and play for a, a season in this league. It, it was just a complete non-starter, and I I agree with you that something has gone on and someone's jumped the gun and everyone else has panicked and then equally you know if there was so much conviction in this super league surely it would have lasted longer than 48 hours surely someone would have stood the ground mm-hmm. i know barcelona real madrid and juventus have but barcelona and, and real madrid kind of probably feel they have nothing to lose so so bad as the yeah, they've got no choice because the skins they yeah. they needed that as a lifeline so, yeah, I mean, it feels like what Dave was saying there about how it's so undercooked. You can see these problems, like, you take you an hour, anyone who's got a clue about football could look at them and go, well, how's that going to work? And how's that going to work? So it might be that. It might be that, you know, someone in Madrid's been shown the accounts for the year, had a couple of whiskeys and thought, well, we're going to have to go with this now, boys. <laughs> that's exactly what happened, I'm sure of it. Because that's... It, I can't remember exactly, but there was... there was, um, I think it was... It was Perez, I think it was, you know, the Real Madrid fella, I think it was him, who was on like some um, late night TV show or something, and he left the cat out the bag, and then all of a sudden, everyone else was like, oh, scurrying round, thinking, what are we going to do? Because they had to show a United front, they couldn't say, no, 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 we're not past that. But they weren't ready for it, and they're all caught on the half, and it, it was just because, like, the Spanish teams were so desperate for it to happen, because the skin. That's pretty much it. It's it was just a complete panic move, but it was it's good to get your um, kind of in, insight into it. Um, it's very very interesting discussion, and and that was pretty much all the topics that I had. Um, we've had a a good look back over the last few months. Uh, anything that you want to plug, uh, Stu? Um, you're selling rubber ducks for your football club, I believe. <laughs> no, I probably won't plug this. Yeah, I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing a duck race. It's like a raffle. I'm just raising money for the club that uh, the club that I do. No, it's all right, mate. I won't give that a plug. I'll, I'll keep plugging away on a low level uh, at my club for that. But cheers anyway. That's uh, Govan Athletic. If anyone on TLW wants to check it out, and and yeah, uh, just just a plug for me. If you could please hit subscribe, um, then you'll get the latest episodes of of the Big Football Podcast coming directly to your uh, device of choice. And Dave and Stu come come on regularly, so it's been a pleasure, gents. I've really enjoyed that, uh, and we've managed to get away without laughing at Everton too much in the darkest hour. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, it's, it's gone way beyond that, though, hasn't it? You, you can't you can't laugh at Everton like when they're, they're so bad. It's not even I don't know. You just feel like you're piling on, don't you? Yeah, and uh, not not something that I'm opposed to. Um, no me either. <laughs> yeah, uh, when when Tony Pulis gets announced and he, he turns into his press conference wearing the club shop, that will be when the the nightmare has <laughs> completely come true. Uh, Dave Stu, thank you very much. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. 
Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you all after a while. Cheers, Dan. Cheers, Stu. Good talking to you. Cheers, mate.